This podcast is brought to you by the Leafwing Center, helping children and families since 1999. Brought to you by the clinical treatment team at the Leafwing Center. This is the Autism Parent Helper Podcast. Welcome back to part three of Leafwing Center's podcast on toileting issues. Let's continue where we have left off from last. Even to this day, most of the interventions that are being used in the studies out there, they're heavily based on Azrin and Fox's RTT method. Mm-hmm. A lot of the different components that we discussed, the interventions that we discussed, like the urination alarm, the, the scheduled sittings, the dry checks, these are all very much used to this day. So that just shows us that it was effective back then. And even to this day, it can be effective presently. Mm-hmm. And also, a lot of the studies and, and a lot of the approaches that are being used, they usually involve a combination of interventions versus just one singular approach, kind of like what Azrin and Fox did. And I think that's an important point as well, because with potty trading, with toileting, and with, with many other skills, usually a combined effort or, or a component package of different interventions usually produces a, um, a desired result. Mm-hmm. And that's something for practitioners to keep in mind and for parents to keep in mind as well. Okay, so we've confirmed, we've reconfirmed that this is a great study. Um, yeah, 1971, it probably benefited all of us by rereading that and re-familiarizing ourselves with everything there. The concepts, the ideas, the strategies. Um, what shall we talk about next? Some of the interventions that were not used in the Azrin and Fox study that may be beneficial to teaching toileting skills. We already covered um, the alarms, Mm -hmm. so we went over that. Um, I think we briefly touched on video modeling, Mm -hmm. but we didn't um, dive in deeper into that one. Um, That can be targeted a couple of different ways. One popular way that's been talked about in many studies is video hero modeling. And Mm -hmm. basically what, what that involves is taking a a character or a figure that a child is preoccupied with. And by preoccupied, we mean highly interested, always talking about that character, like a cartoon or, or, or a comic book character. Something like that. So, for example, could that be... Uh, Iron Man. Iron yeah. Man, yeah. Or like yeah. a Pokemon. Thanos or... <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Cinderella. Yeah. 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 With the idea being that this character is highly um, preferred by the child. And so by creating a model of that character engaging in the appropriate toileting steps, that can motivate the child to engage in those behaviors themselves. Mm -hmm. Now, the challenge with that approach is it's usually somewhat difficult to find children's favorite characters uh, engaging in toilet behaviors. <laughs> yeah, I did that yesterday. I researched for two hours. I put down as many common popular characters that I can. I can't find any. There's no YouTube video. Yes, I was showing Savan yesterday. Savan, the authors really push for VHM, but I can't find any. But yeah. there is a market for it and there is a use for it. And it's worth for, for parents to know about it and for practitioners to know mm-hmm. about it too, because this is something... Maybe they can somewhat create yeah. using, um, you know, even like a mini social story with like pictures and, yeah. and, and animations and things like that. Mm-hmm. So it's worth uh, exploring if the goal is to create a treatment package where we're using multiple interventions. 
So with that said, yeah, if your child is into Pokemon and there is a video of Pikachu going to the bathroom. Since you started this handy. topic of video modeling, Savon, let's mm. get right into it. Okay, now we're down that slippery slope. <laughs> I was avoiding it. What is video modeling? Okay, so this is something that uh, a tool that we can use to uh, teach uh, our kids, you know, self-help skills, independent skills, any play skills, social skills and all that. Obviously, there would be prerequisite skills for a video model program to work. A child has to be able to imitate. Exactly. Those things have to be in place. Uh, They have to be able to follow it and respond to it. Now, that's video modeling in general. Mm -hmm. Now, let's get into video modeling toileting. There was one study out there that brought this up. Um, They use, for this one child, they use a video model for toileting. And in the end, I'm just summarizing this. The child learned everything, all, all the steps, all the steps. Mm. for toileting, wow. except for the actual act of uh, urinating uh, or defecating. Yeah. And the authors pointed out that perhaps maybe because funny. it was not shown in the video. Right. Now, that's because of ethical and privacy. Exactly. Yes. So if we're going to go that route, will I really video to videotape someone doing that? Yes. Yeah. So that's, I mean, there's a whole are, lot of implications. Yeah, there. those I mean, are the things that I'm not much of a fan. Of. I'm sorry, I'm putting my uh, two cents on this topic, yeah. but then definitely it did not work at all. Right. Because I mean, the goal is for the child to to do things on the toilet. Mm-hmm. You know. So that's something, an implication that needs to be addressed. You Interesting. Know, if you really want to get Interesting. into that, but it was right there. So the modeling procedure kind of failed because yeah. of, and the authors did not of, videotape. It was not as literal as, as the, it needed yeah. to be. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So that's something to think about. Uh, and that's just for video modeling. Now they're talking about video modeling like on a one-on-one perspective mm-hmm. like it's oh, point of, child point of view, point of view. yeah that was interesting but i'll just say in general video modeling that's something to consider do we really want to do that well so maybe we should describe what that is you know that was kind of <laughs> interesting so um it, it essentially is making a video and i won't make this specific to toileting but it's making a video from the perspective of the person that's supposed to be like a video game exactly, exactly. From a perspective of yeah. video game play yeah and for those of us that don't play a lot of video games because i don't play a lot of video <laughs> I games i don't i don't um <laughs> it's essentially like if you were brushing your teeth if the what you saw in the video screen were well this is kind of difficult um you know assuming you're not looking into the mirror while you're brushing your teeth but um what you would see is essentially your hand in front of your face um, moving the toothbrush or pushing the button on the electric toothbrush while you brush your teeth. And so you would see what it would look like from the first person perspective. perspective. Yeah. And they did talk about that in one of these articles about is that's maybe one thing to explore with respect to toilet training. Now that's going to be interesting because that, well, the study you were saying, Ray, about where the modeling fell down, um, first person perspective doesn't necessarily get that literal moment that needs to be captured to get everything in place as well you know um i did have a family a few years ago where they uh videotaped the older brother um going to the the bathroom the full step Mm -hmm. and then they would all the way to the literal way okay Okay. really all of it okay and um the client would watch this video several Mm -hmm. times throughout the day Mm -hmm. 
And now I don't know if that was what was the client watching it for interest purposes or to to be. I want to say mom used to have him watch it every few hours before Mm. she would make him go. Got it. So his idea was to prepare him. Prepare him. Okay, look, he did it. Your brother did it. You you can do it too. And there was reinforcement in the video. And, you know, the brother went there like, whoop. Yeah, that's important. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know. Yeah. Um, And yeah, he used to to follow. So it worked. It was successful? Yeah, it was. Interesting. Was it a a component or it was a treatment by itself? It was a treatment by itself. Really? Really? Interesting. That is interesting. Well, I mean, it's not something we were working on. This is just something that, you know, um, I was told, like, this is how we did it. And it worked. Interesting. Well, it it doesn't seem totally, um, you know, inconsistent with how we've probably done that outside of the ABA world. You know, uh, a father sometimes teaches Mm -hmm. his son, Mm -hmm. this is how you use the restroom kind of thing. And, and so you could see where that would, you know, it's not too far off from that, from convention, from history. Or maybe it all boils down really to the learning capability Mm -hmm. of the person. The imitation repertoire. That is important with modeling, you know, for an individual to be able to, to really benefit from modeling, they have to be able to attend to and, and do that observational. Exactly. So, so video modeling and different types of video modeling, like we discussed, mm-hmm. can be used as a tool to mm-hmm. teach many different skills, not just toileting. Although with respect to toileting, certain issues like uh, privacy and ethical issues do have to be factored in. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Um, should we move on to um, another intervention? Yeah. What should we talk about, guys? We have a few other uh, interesting the, studies. The Fox study did talk about scheduled sittings. Mm-hmm. So this is another common intervention used um, in a lot of different toileting packages, toileting intervention packages. And those will vary based on the protocol, based on the needs of the client. But usually it will include um, an interval of time at which the learner is prompted or instructed to sit on the toilet for a designated amount of time based on their needs. Mm-hmm. So that was already covered in um, the RTT method. Got mm-hmm. it. Yeah. The dry checks mm-hmm. were also covered. Got it. So there was a really nice study. Having said that, Savon, there's a, a study by Greer, um, Niedert, and Dozier. Um, it's called a component analysis of toilet training procedures recommended for young children. Um, and this was a great study. It was in the Journal of Applied Behavior Analysis, pretty recent, 2016. And like you said, it has components in it that are um, that relate back mm-hmm. to Azrin and Fox in 1971. So it was what it essentially did is it it was a component analysis, and what that means is it kind of analyzed the components of a toilet training program. To see which was the most, what components individually were the most successful, or if they were successful at all, or if they needed to be combined to be successful. And in this particular study, um, the three components that it looked at were one, the use of underwear, two, um, it's called a dense sit schedule, or essentially that's kind of habit training. You know, I'm going to bring little um, Johnny or little Janie to the toilet um, every two hours or every half an hour, whatever that sit schedule needs to be. Um, and then three was what we that they call differential reinforcement or 
um, what we would say is basically reinforcing um, uh, dryness, probably and good elimination and appropriate eliminations. Exactly mm -hmm. right. Exactly. So the great thing about this study is it looked at them in terms of their separate things. So it looked at, hey, let's try underwear only for this group of kids. Let's try a dense sit schedule for a different group of kids. Mm -hmm. And let's try a uh, differential reinforcement or a reinforcement program only for yet a third group of kids. Mm -hmm. And then, hey, you know what? Let's have a group of kids where we try all three, all three together. Yeah, this is very interesting. The yes. result of this study was unexpected. It was. Me. I'm yes. Like, what? <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. So the underwear. Twice. <laughs> yes. The underwear was um, the big star of, of the study. Yeah. So you. So you. Well, you, you started you it. Yeah. You. Came. <laughs> you started it, Saban. So I got to tell you this. This um, when I read this study and and I read some other like we'll we'll talk about a you know a lit review study in a little bit probably. But when I was going through this and and I saw recurring that underwear was an important component, mm -hmm. um, it made me rethink my professional practice a little bit in mm -hmm. the sense that, um, okay, when I start to comment on this and, and you know, when parents ask me about this, um, I'll make sure to emphasize that recent research and the body of research seems to be suggesting that that might be the most important component mm -hmm. of this intervention. And that is wearing underwear, getting out of pull-ups, mm -hmm. getting out of diapers and putting on underwear. You know, usually, you know, um, at my personal, when I toilet train my kids and then when my own children, and then when in professional practice, when I've done this, usually the concern is, Oh, 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 we're going to have a lot of mess. We're going to have stuff to clean, tons of, you know, um, laundry to do, tons of mess around the house. And then, you know, so it becomes a little bit of an issue of, I guess, maybe family tolerance to that potential threat, you know, that potential problem. And then maybe even the realistic uh, temporary problem being there. Um, but then as we see in the article, like you said, Savon, it seems like that is a pretty powerful um, intervention for starting to potty appropriately. And I think the article was kind of saying that that had some immediate effects to mm -hmm. to contribute to potty training. Yeah. yeah. You know what, guys, before we continue, mm -hmm. should we go over the results? Uh, sure. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, or, or even should we start before that and go over a little bit the participants? Okay, participants. So we talk a little bit about that. So this one was so we, like I said, so the it's um, um, it was it looked at three groups of kids. So there was one group of kids that were in one component, um, and let's see, let me tell you a little bit about this. Uh, and they the, just for you know discussion, they used you know some prompting procedures, least to most in all cases, you know the least amount of, um, um prompting that was necessary and all of those. Um, uh, so the total study, the study had 20 children. The In a preschool setting or daycare? It, yeah. Something some, like that. Yeah, some, some early school setting. Mm -hmm. They called it early childhood education, ECE setting, I think. Um, the, the average age of the kids was 26 months, so a little over two years. Mm -hmm. And the range was 19, so not too much younger, uh, up to 39, so a little over three years old. Um, 
there was one, uh, all, all 19 of the kids had were uh, undiagnosed, uh, had or neurotypical or uh, no diagnosis yet of anything. One child um, carried a diagnosis of autism spectrum disorder. Okay. Um, and then they broke them into groups. And they it says the children were assigned to conditions or groups based on the number of children already assigned to each condition and teacher convenience. So, hey, um, we're going to put three kids in the underwear only group. Um, and we've already got three there. So now let's put these other kids in the, um, the dense sit schedule group. And then um, since we have, um, you know, six kids or three kids left over, let's put them in the um, the third group, which is the reinforcement only group. And, oh, you know, now we have 11 left over. Let's put them in the the um, the combined group. So that's kind of how they did it. It wasn't super scientific uh, in terms of the assignment of uh, uh, kids to groups, but no problem with respect to that. So let's talk a little bit about the different things. So underwear, um, the underwear was moving over from pull-ups and diapers over into um, either your typical cotton underwear, or I believe there was something they called a plastic pant, uh, which was a pull-up kind of thing. But the article, the authors implied in the article that it was pretty similar to a more typical thing and not so similar to a diaper or pull-up. That's what I garnered from the article when I read it. So I think something that they put over the underwear. Uh I actually looked it up a little bit yeah. going into it. So what it is, is um, it's kind of a halfway between a diaper and underwear. But if you have an accident, you're able to uh, feel it, but it won't leak or oh. anything like that. But they're, they mimic more uh, visually. And like probably texturally, than, it feels yes. like a regular so underwear. The inside of that is more like an uh, like a real okay. underwear. Like Whereas the diaper is more like... Um, uh, what's the plasticky? The, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. So it the feel of it is more definitely like underwear from so the inside. If yeah. we thought about this in terms of like intrusiveness, just I'm just gonna say this out loud so I get this in my brain. But the most sort of um, intrusive would be a diaper, and then we'd have next most would be a pull up, and then this um, plastic pant or yeah. okay. So yeah. that's kind of new because with mm -hmm. these new diapers and all that, even with uh, pull ups, when you're wet, you don't feel it. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Right. That, that, that's, that's the, the idea. idea. Yeah. Of it, mm -hmm. Yeah. That they can go several times in the same diaper and they're not uh, irritated or mm -hmm. become upset by it. Yeah. Whereas with these underwear, these these plastic underwear, mm -hmm. you feel it. Okay. Got it. But it kind of helps the parent where nothing leaks or there's uh -huh. no, you know, yeah. So now we're out. seeing that in some ways it can actually be a setback after a certain point, right? So yeah. Yeah, interesting. So maybe that's another thing to add to our repertoire as practitioners is to find this and, you know, and there's where... certain like specialty websites where you can... Specialty websites. Yeah. Okay, so not Amazon this time. No, okay. no. I, I, I looked to see if you could find it on Amazon, but it was But no. There. Okay. All right. Give them a year or so. Yeah. Um, okay. So there were four children in the underwear group. Um, and then the dense sit schedule also had four children. Um, um, and let me see. The, uh, it says the teachers prompted the children to sit on the toilet every 30 minutes, okay, um, instead of every 90 minutes. So the dense schedule means the group of kids were uh, sat on the toilet every 30 minutes. And then the differential reinforcement group, um, when the kids remain dry um, at undergarment check times, 
um, or self-initiating, um, they were they received teacher delivery of prefer, preferred items. So uh, a tangible, something that they could hold and play, whether that be, I don't know, I'm just giving an example. I don't know that this is the case, but it could be anything from a, um, a Hot Wheels card to a, an iPad or something that they could have in their hand. And then, of course, there was a toilet training package, and six kids were in that group, including our child that was diagnosed with ASD. Um, and uh, that was all three things. So both the underwear, the dense sit schedule, and the reinforcement. Okay. Um, now, shall we talk about results of this study? Yes. Okay. Dun, 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 dun. We should put some dramatic music in there because <laughs> it was so, it was a little unexpected for us. For, I guess this will be for the, uh, the, the training package combined after baseline. Two out of six kids responded well to that uh, treatment for underwear only after baseline two out of four kids 50 percent along the lines of that underwear added as a second or third component the benefits the benefits was four out of six kids now then sit schedule after baseline no improvement interesting no improvement like mm -hmm. no one none of the kids <laughs> benefited from it so this is so common in schools this mm -hmm. is what almost it's like a default. It's a default. A default treatment program. Yeah. Oh, this is go there every yeah. hour or whatever. In preschool, it's almost like ABCs and colors. It goes you know? to circle time. Circle time. Before yeah. snack, after snack, before yeah. sleep time. Yeah. So, it is so common. What a surprise. No improvement. And yeah. for me, differential reinforcement, no improvement. Wasn't that something? Okay, that flies in the face of us behavior analysts. <laughs> oh, look at that. <laughs> so in defense of the behavior analysts, I thought about this. I was thinking, you know, wait a second. We can't change behavior with reinforcement? That's crazy. That doesn't... What do we go to graduate school for? <laughs> so... Um, I started to think about that a little bit more. And do you remember that I was saying that the reinforcer was a, um, a preferred um, toy or activity kind of thing? Mm -hmm. What I was thinking there, you know, is a, if a behavior analyst really drilled down on that, you know, particular thing. And I think it said they did preference assessments and that's how they determined what was the reinforcer. But I would, I would probably comment that maybe that wasn't a strong enough reinforcer to be able to kind of get that behavior. And that's why. So, and maybe there weren't these types of strong behaviors. Contrast that with Asrin and Fox, which we talked about to start the podcast. Remember they were using um, a, a large portion of a candy bar, um, you know, um, uh, powder coated sugar, coated cereal and M&Ms for these, um, uh, the correct behaviors, the appropriate behaviors. This is more a manipulatable, a manipulative or some sort of toy. So perhaps there's something to the type of reinforcer, the um, strength of it and its ability to change behavior. And also, uh, you folks will remember this from grad school, um, DRO. They yes. were reinforcing the non-occurrence mm -hmm. of that behavior. Very so frequently too. it's not advice. I mean, you know, I've always been trained. If a dead man, if a dead person can do the behavior, do not target it for acceleration. Mm -hmm. So I think along with what Dr. Lubers had said, I think the fact that they were reinforcing dry checks, probably more often than the actual urinating behavior, uh, it kind of like led to that. However, though, underwear, 
plus differential reinforcement. Well, if I can make one oh, more go ahead. one more comment before right, you go there, right. because you just suggested to me something that was kind of <laughs> oh, like, there you go. Yeah, uh, interesting to do. And again, relating this back to Azrin and Fox. Remember, Azrin and Fox used the the uh, electronic devices, the apparati or the apparatuses. Um, to be able to provide immediate feedback exactly. so that staff could go over and reinforce immediately. And so, and then the interval for the reinforcement of dry was, what was that? Do we recall what that was? Was that, that was a pretty short yeah. interval, was it not? Short. It may have been five minutes. Well, as yeah, I'm thinking, it may have been like five, five minutes. minutes. I think in this study, the interval was longer. So mm -hmm. perhaps the, the lack of the immediacy of the dryness and or the lack of the density of the reinforcement schedule might have also contributed there. So there could have been a couple of tweaks that might have resulted in some different um, outcomes in this study, which, you know, would be a great replication study. Um, but but that was just some thoughts that you just made me think of right now, Ray. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> no problem. No problem. So coming back to that, uh, the last uh, results was underwear with differential reinforcement had a gain of three out of six, so 50%. Mm. So there it is underwear underwear it keeps coming back you bump know like bump, 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 bump. Uh, who would have thought Imagine. but you know in yes. a way though i mean from my own experience i have had the pleasure to work with some families over the years who just jump right into underwear they just decided one morning during a potty party let's take it off and yeah. the kids immediately just ran to the bathroom Mm -hmm. when they need a void. So I can see where this is coming from. Um, it's just that, that big, it is a big jump. And I think Dr. Mm -hmm. Lubers has mentioned this earlier about the messes, because I have, I've had uh, an experience with families. I have one group who are open to just jumping into underwear mm -hmm. and the other group that will say no. That's probably the folks with hardwood floors yes. and the house <laughs> carpet. Yes. 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 Yeah. The high thread uh, exactly. comforters and sheets. Yeah. Know. So I'm thinking about this. So it just boils down to really that. I mean, this research had shown it that, you know, underwear only is, you know, a pretty good idea to start. But the hardest part really is having caregivers be in that correct mindset. Yes. Gotta be ready. Yes. For messes. Thinking of the cost benefit aspect of it, it almost might be worth it to deal with one or two or three messes. Mm -hmm. However, in the long run, it right may there. speed up the toileting yeah. process. Yes, mm -hmm. exactly. Because it will function as an aversive mm -hmm. to, to, to the learner. When it comes to the readiness of the family mm -hmm. rather than the individual. However, they did bring up that new hybrid underwear. So maybe that in combination with Actually, just that alone, forget the underwear, just use of that hybrid underwear to uh, to uh, to use instead, maybe. That way you parents, get the best of both worlds. Exactly. You parents will mess. Okay, no, yeah. not too much yes. mess, but at the same time. But you get the effect. Exactly. Yeah. Zero. I don't think there is a study about that yet. <clears throat> Okay. All right. Seeds are, seeds are being planted. So let me, let me just state that again for, for effect, because I think that's really important. And this really, you know, to use a quote, my, my high schooler, I was shook when I read this. She said, all right, it says here, um, the underwear component seemed to facilitate toilet training for at least two of the four children. So, and just on its own, 
on its own, mm-hmm. putting underwear on these kids kind of facilitated or helped contribute to um, toilet training for two of the four. That's pretty good. That's a pretty easy intervention. And that's pretty good. You're batting 500 or 50% sex success rate there just by putting on underwear. So um, no other component seemed to be as successful, right? So even though there isn't necessarily empirical data out there on, on the effect of why underwear is so effective right off the bat, I guess we can discuss why that why? is the case. Exactly. Um, yeah. Obviously, there is an aversion. There's something or, there. Yeah, it's most likely aversive for the learner to experience the feeling of, of wetness and, and you know, the, the, the messiness of it where it becomes a learning experience for, mm-hmm. for the following time or the following couple of times mm-hmm. where, you know, they want to escape that feeling. Yeah. So, yeah, I might throw in too, you know, this kind of brings us back to our behavior analysis theory, but um, I think that it may become what we call in our world, a discriminative stimulus mm-hmm. um, or, or essentially in layman's terms is it's a cue, like, you know, to the kids, they kind of realize, Hey, Something's different. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not wearing pull-ups or diapers anymore. I got my, you know. Big boy. Or yeah, big I got my big boy underwear. or big girl yeah. underwear. I got my um, Cinderella or my uh, Iron Man underwear on, and things are different now. So it may serve as some sort of trigger or cue to our kids that, hey, you know, now we do things a little differently. More which, social, I guess. Yeah, yeah right. perhaps. I think they also talked about, like, uh, I think the authors in this article were talking about, um, they also thought that 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 sometimes that the kids found it unpleasant if they had soiled their favorite underwear, you know, and kids do get their favorite underwear, mm-hmm. you know, like, oh, I have my Iron Man and I want those. I want, you know, like the, the, the boy who wants to wear Iron Man all week long, you know, so you have to have five pairs of them or something like that or wash every night. <laughs> um, if they had to, if they soiled them and had to take them off and change them, they were, the authors were hypothesizing because a couple of the kids cried when they, they didn't get to wear them anymore, that that was unpleasant. So that became a motivation for them to stay dry. That makes sense. That's interesting. It's yeah. almost like a response cost. Yeah. They have an it accident, is. they miss out on their favorite um, <laughs> yeah. pair of exactly. underwear for a certain amount of time. Actually, they also said that uh, it, it may also, along the lines of that, you know, when they have an accident, they get changed. Right. So basically, they get pulled away from their favorite activity, activity mm-hmm. or whatever they're engaging at the moment. So in a way, they avoid that by going yeah. know, on a toilet. Yeah. From an, a, from an ABA perspective, it does make sense. Yeah. So talking about the dense sit schedule and the results there, let me read what the author is right in here. It says, overall, the dense sit schedule, and remember, that was the taking the child to the bathroom every 30 minutes, um, did not produce overall improvements in toileting performance for any of the four children. Uh, So that was, that was, okay. So the underwear did two out of the four. Dense sit schedule did zero out of four. No improvement at all, just in and of itself. And then, of course, our behavior analytic stuff, which was the uh, reinforcement-based stuff. Okay, overall, differential reinforcement failed to produce overall improvements in the toileting performance of any of the four children. So it really didn't have any effect either. It was just like a dense sit schedule. It really didn't do much. Um, Again, compare that with the underwear, which had two of the four kids 
have some success. Uh, and now for, with respect to the package, guys, what do we see with respect to package? I believe they said two out of six. Two out of six of those. Mm -hmm. Okay. So second. And by, by improvements, we're referring to um, successful eliminations and fewer accidents. Right. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. More dry time and more successful body. Exactly. Um, so interesting, really interesting um, study to look at this component analysis, you know, um, going back to some of the stuff we talked about with respect to the underwear, guys, I thought I was starting to think when I was reading it, the implications of this. Remember when we're talking about a, you know, say a three or a four year old, when we're um, training them, they may be in a, a pre-K or um, a kindergarten kind of setting, a preschool kind of setting, sometimes those preschools will say, oh, no, you must send your son or daughter in a diaper. We won't accept them otherwise. So we have to think about that with respect to our potty programs, you know, and how they're going to affect them. What we're seeing here in our studies so far is getting diapers off, getting pull-ups off, and getting um, underwear on is really the way to go, the route to go. And to start to, you know, build in these reinforcement schedules, maybe to start to uh, habit train a little bit, um, but to teach the other skills as well, the dressing and the hygiene. That's really what it seems to, to make a good intervention program for most individuals. Um, I think we have to kind of now take into consideration, too, that maybe our school programs or I don't want to just throw shade at school. But any other environment that the kids will be in, that that may work counter to us, to what we see the literature says, and that we'll have to kind of account for that. Or maybe it even, you know, contraindicates or suggests to us, hey, maybe now's not the time to do it. Even though we may feel it's appropriate, even though maybe um, the family may have brought it up, um, there may be a time where it's like, oh, yeah, but we're in a school setting for 12 hours and 12 hours they want them, you know, because it's a, a school setting, a preschool or a, a kindergarten, and now they're going to an aftercare. They're in some school setting or, or even with grandparents, you know, where grandparents are like, hey, I can watch um, grandchild, but I can't, you know, I have health issues. I can't, you know, attend to changing their diapers or what have you. So maybe it makes some sense that we really need to kind of take that factor in, um, a little heavier moving forward. What do you think? Absolutely, especially in the beginning of the intervention, it's really important to create that consistent environment where everybody can be on the same page, where there isn't really any limitations or inconsistencies, kind of like the school example that you brought up, mm -hmm. where numerous learning opportunities, consistent learning opportunities can be created. Mm -hmm. And once you know there's some success and we move into the maintenance phase, the generalization phase, um, then some differences in environment, people, and, you know, different factors can be a little bit easier to work with because the bulk of the skills ideally would have been taught by mm -hmm. then. Great. So is there anything else we want to uh, touch on with um, the Greer study? Yeah. Shall we talk about Greer a little bit? I think that was an interesting study. Um, that was the Greer study. Yeah. Oh, sorry, Francis, right? Yeah, so um, that one pretty much covered the, the main assessments that are used out there. We, we kind of covered the potty a little bit, mm -hmm. and then some of the different interventions. Most of them were already used in the uh, Azrin and Fox RTT approach. Um, did we miss anything, you guys? Is there any other interventions? or um... 
things we want to bring up with respect to Greer or outside of Greer? Greer or um, Francis? Okay, Uh, Francis is a nice lit review. Um, Do we want to talk a little bit about that, you guys? You know, there's what is relevant or interesting for our parents from that Francis study. Is there anything that we really some highlights? So it was a good review of all existing current treatment toileting plan toileting programs mm-hmm. pretty much right mm-hmm. and it did cover a lot of the similar or same materials we've gone over already so where do we go from here folks well we have some interesting takeaways I, again you know like i said numerous times uh, this is really an interesting exercise for me to kind of go back and revisit some of these articles look at some current research. Um, I think usually what we want to end up is giving our listeners some takeaways, some things for them to to think about and to to take to their particular situation, their their children or loved ones or the people that they work with. Um, what do we think we got out of these? Articles? Well, I think one of the things that our folk, our listeners can get from this is about the Greer study about the component analysis study. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, that was the whole point of the researchers then, you know, mm-hmm. like let's figure out what works, but at the same time, let's figure out what does not work. Right. Because if we know what does not work, then maybe we can focus on those that will work. Right. So for this study, you know, they did say that, you know, a dense sit schedule alone will not produce the desired results. So mm-hmm. it, they did suggest, suggest that a differential reinforcement system in their study did not produce a lot of results. However, they did cover some programs that components that appear to work. Mm -hmm. And that will be primarily, mostly, but primarily underwear. Right. That's shockingly. That's really something to think about. Um, And if you think about it too, pairing underwear with differential reinforcement will produce some results. And uh, underwear within the treatment package will also produce some results. So for me, and I think for our listeners, it's really to start having that conversation within your family and figure out maybe you should give it a shot and maybe by yourselves or maybe with the assistance of a provider. But it is worth considering given the research. Well, can I add it just to back it up a little? All righty. Um, sorry to 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 jump in there and stop the train, um, but I think you know pulling it back a level is you know when we talked about Matson, uh, we talked about assessment. Yes. So um, maybe before we even get to intervention, which is where you were talking a lot there, Ray, which is great, is maybe we start to look at conducting an assessment. Yes you know, of what's going on. And um, that assessment could be this potty assessment by Matson, And we can kind of get a global, you know, big picture, 10,000 foot level perspective on what's going on, where are the problems, what are they essentially. So um, the, you know, the professionals working in this situation can kind of understand that. Um, and then, you know, you know, then we can start looking at intervention. Maybe we conduct preference assessments to kind of figure out what are reinforcers. And then when we jump into intervention, we I think it's I think you were saying this, Ray, but I think it's pretty much a given mm-hmm. that underwear, um, you know, should be a part of the component package. Um, you know, unless I miss unless I misspoke for you. For from my take on it, that's pretty much what our study has. Yeah. 
Yeah. I mean, there's probably going to be some individual situations where it's going to be difficult or what have you, and those would need to be brought up and addressed. But, um, you know, maybe maybe some children that don't like to wear underwear, you know, and they prefer to be without them. You know, what do you do in the situation where a child refuses to wear underwear? Well, that would be something you'd have to address individually. Mm -hmm. probably. Um, maybe uh, families can start uh using that specialized hybrid underwear that mm -hmm. uh the pa one of the researchers had brought up if just underwear alone is too much of a jump mm -hmm. and i have to say it is quite a big jump yeah i mean i don't want my floor to be dirty right but, you know if there is some compromise there i think the uh the plastic underwear is a place to start mm -hmm. just have to look for it mm -hmm. and maybe from there give it a shot yeah and um like what the researchers have suggested to us it will make some kind. Yeah. And I think with respect to underwear, you know, I think what was suggested in one of our articles is that maybe we try to get some buy-in with the, our, our kids in the underwear. And, and maybe we try to get a little bit of an effect of, hey, favorite underwear. So picking underwear that the kids like, you know, uh, maybe even letting them have a choice in it, you know. So you pick the underwear you like, you know, these are the Harry Potter underwear, or these are the um, Guardians of the Galaxy underwear or whatever. And then we maybe we get a little bit of an effect of, you know, these are preferred, I want to keep them, I don't want to soil them, etc. Um, and, um, you know, so we can kind of benefit that from that as well. Um, reinforcement, you know, um, maybe what we kind of garnered from our articles today, at least that I got out of this was that we need to find powerful reinforcers because the reinforcers alone in that one study weren't working. Um, but in Azrin and Fox, the edibles, the candy bar and the cereal and the M&Ms worked, worked just fine. Um, of course, those are adults and we're talking about kids, you know, um, maybe there's something to that then. You know, um, I know in present day, we tend to prefer not to have to resort to edibles because of the um, the associated potential health benefits of um, weight gain and, um, yeah, nutritional complications there. So sometimes we kind of shun or shy away from that. Um, but maybe in these, you know, really important to the family kinds of things, maybe that's something that you do explore is really thinking about, um, using those real powerful edibles mm. again. And, you know, it, it is for your child. Yeah, it it yes. is very temporary. These reinforcement <laughs> programs are not designed to last for years at a time. Right. We're looking at a few days yeah. and yeah. then the schedule is thinned out or they don't get as much treats as before. Right. Um, Ultimately, there is the, a way. the reinforcement mm -hmm. becomes naturally natural, right? social, successful, you know, success, and all that. that. Yeah. And then I guess the last part of this was the habit training, right? It was the uh, sit schedule or bringing that. And, and um, although that's what they use an awful lot in a lot of preschool settings and stuff like that, that seems to be the least effective or efficacious. Um, maybe all it really teaches is what was brought in Azrin and Fox was the um, going to the bathroom, actually physically moving into the bathroom. So that's really what that teaches and not much else about using the bathroom. And then I think, um, you know, the last thing is we need to teach those skills that are associated, the self-care skills. So undressing, dressing, um, wiping and cleaning, washing hands, all those things need to be taught as well. Um, so those seem to be like the general takeaways, guys. Any, did I miss anything? 
No, yeah. to all the listeners out there, to the parents and the caregivers, we hope we gave you um, a useful menu of, of different interventions that could be used or discussed with your providers and some different assessment methods. And um, hopefully this will be helpful to yeah. everybody out there. Yeah, and as always, we have, we'll have a transcript of this on our website. And we're interested in your feedback, your questions, your comments. And if you have suggestions for future shows, we'd be happy to receive those. Thank you again for listening. For more insight from the LeafWing Center, please visit the LeafWing Center website and blog page at leafwingcenter.org. Email us at info at leafwingcenter.org or visit us at your favorite social media outlet. Feel free to submit questions or comments about this or future podcasts, and we will put links to information discussed in today's show on the website. We look forward to next time. Thank you.